0: Welcome to Best Invest, Fest, and I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of the La Femme International Film Festival. And this is a podcast for everyone who wants to learn more about making films for TV, for uh, theatrical and OTT platforms, all the dirty little secrets of putting this stuff together. Today, I'm super pleased to have Lisa Freyberg on. She is co-founder and managing partner of One Good Man Productions based in Los Angeles. She is a former DreamWorks animation executive, having overseen development and production for some of this real great branded content, how. Uh, to Train Your Dragon, a favorite, Uh, Guardians, Kung Fu, Panda, Shrek, Trolls, and so, so many others. She has worked with Dustin Hoffman, Rihanna, uh, Jennifer Lopez, and um, she is also producing television and feature films. She's got a couple of projects that we're going to talk about. Um, Alex October, Three-Headed Beast, and she is also um, working currently on adapting a an acclaimed award-winning novel, Unbroken Horses so welcome how are you
1: great thank you so much Leslie (laughs) I'm really happy to join you
0: so let's start from the beginning 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 Um, you know you're a girl you're 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 in high school you're you're migrating up to college and and how on earth did you get bit by film by animation you know what was what was the big aha moment for you
1: well, uh, it actually started in the second grade when I played the role of Lucy in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. <laughs> and I can still remember, I can still remember the song, you know, something about Schroeder playing his piano. Um, so, so you know, I was one of those kids that was very involved in Acting and theater and I loved, you know, I was a born performer. My mother always says I was caught. There's seven kids in my family. So when I was number five, so you had to do something to break through the noise you know, (laughs) yeah, to stand up. So, and and all my siblings were like stellar athletes and, you know, I played sports too, but that wasn't my thing. So in high school, you know, so I really kind of continued this. It really was kind of a passion for me. Uh, And then, you know, all the way through high school, I was very involved in drama and, you know, one act play. And we had a very active program. And I'll shout out to Mrs. Brown, Charlotte Brown, amazing, amazing high school teacher who has inspired. Yeah, way to go, Charlotte. Oh, yeah, I found out that um, one of the, she was older than me, but Sherry Bilsing also went to my high school, Gregory Portland High School. And she became a writer, yeah, on uh, three, on, um, yeah, you know, Sherry or, yeah, just, she's from my hometown, And Mrs. Brown also was a big influence for her, I'm sure. But anyway, um, that's kind of where I started. But then when I went to college, I went to TCU in Fort Worth. And I was like, okay, I want to major in film. I hated auditioning. So I dabbled in some things. You know, there was a commercial market in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but I hated auditioning. I thought, I'm getting so worked up for like five minutes of my whole life. And it's ironic because I'm now...
0: You sound like my son. My son's an actor and he's like, he just he just did this like 12-page audition. He's like, I hate auditioning. Yeah, I know. That's the plight of actors, right? It really
1: is. It is. And I, I mean, I kudos to every actor on the planet. You know, it's such a challenging and and uh, you know this is why. So as a producer, I just have such high regard for these actors and those who have really, you know, stuck with their guns. And you know, it's it's not an easy road by any stretch. So, um, and I really am kind of that kind of a producer as well. And I'm very much, you know, I I kind of grew up as a line producer in commercials and then transitioned over, you know, to Creative. So, because at core, I had that creative side to me, but um, which, you know, in retrospect, I think is like the best path ever.
0: Yeah. Listen, that was my path. I, I, I did UPMing line producing grew up that way. And then, you know, because of my acting background, I had that creative path as well. I think it's a great path. But when on this path, so, so where did it suck, where did it really suck you into making that? Oh my gosh. I, I want to go on the other side of that camera.
1: Well, I think it was, it really was in college that I started to, when I really started studying filmmaking and storytelling. Um, and I really found that I had these skill sets that frankly I didn't even know I had as far as being able to look at things from a macro point of view um, and and, and really bring together it's naturally my personality. I'm very much a people person. So I just think I kind of cultivated it then. And you know I was in Texas and at the time there wasn't a huge film you know business and but there was very strong commercial business. So right out of college, the, I got into production on the commercial side of things. And I did that for many years and actually worked my way up from, you know, a PA to producing. And I'm so grateful because it was such a strong um, community and there's really good crew there. And, you know, now it's blossomed and has a lot of TV shows and features that are shot there. But um, it really gave me such a great foundation. I always say it was like my postgraduate, you know, it, it was graduate school because you had to be scrappy, you know, to, to succeed in the B market, you have to be scrappy.
0: You've got to be scrappy. And, and and not only scrappy, but as a woman, you have to be scrappy anyways, uh, because we're already, um, you know, not necessarily that first choice. We're not the first draft. Let's Let's put it that way. <laughs>
1: that's true but I mean this may sound sexist but I mean I think most women especially women line producers or UPNs usually they can run circles around the men I mean because multitasking is an idea oh oh, no
0: totally oh my god multitasking or die what are you talking about (laughs) that's been my motto for years multitask or die we're always better at doing that than men (laughs) but we're still you know not the first draft choice <laughs> we're second and third round. So so then where did you go from there in Texas um a, and swing over to where you landed in Hollywood and DreamWorks and, and animation? So
1: I as I said I worked in that part of the business for a bit of time and worked with some amazing directors who were um I got a lot of really great opportunities to shoot all over the country and, you know, out, you know, overseas. So that was really fun and worked on very high end stuff and really kind of, you know, I think um, honed my skill sets. Um, and then I decided I had kind of reached a peak in that market and I knew I needed to move to LA. And um, so I, um, And I, I, well, I should say that one of the, it's always like the blessings in disguise of something that seems traumatic. Um, I was married. I got married very young, out of college. You know, the tech, I always say that's the Texas thing. you know, I was, and I got divorced. So when the moment of the divorce, I was like, wait a minute, it was like a reexamination of what am I doing? And what do I want to do? I was still a little bit chicken to because I didn't know anybody in LA. And I was still a little afraid. So I moved, I rented a house in Dallas. And then six months after I rented it, they sold the house. So I was like, okay, screw this. I'm not putting this off any longer. (laughs) I'm going to going to do what I know I need to do I was just too afraid so I sold everything and I knew one person uh, really that you know had I had no contacts really in Los Angeles um, but this person I was able to get a rent control apartment in Santa Monica so when that happened I was like this is meant to be <laughs> <laughs> this is meant to be
0: wow that was meant to be you know how hard that is it's, it's like impossible now but it was hard back then oh yeah
1: yeah and it was the one person it was a friend of a friend and you know oh I know blah 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 so that was pretty amazing and then again I kind of in- initially still did some commercial stuff and then I um, transitioned my first transition was actually I made it, got into documentaries and I uh, I spent a lot of time making a documentary about the abuse of kids in the Catholic Church, uh, which pretty much took over my life for a couple of years. Um, and mainly I made that move because, you know, production's so hard. And, you know, yet I realized I'm putting so much into things that I don't really, you know, I don't care if anybody buys whatever. And I'm not really the kind of person that's into pop culture. So I was kind of spinning my wheels doing commercials, even though I was good at it and made really good money. So I did documentaries. And then after I did the film, spent a lot of time. And that was a very, very emotional journey. I had the opportunity to go to work at DreamWorks. And and I had done some animation, you know, throughout the years. So I wasn't going in totally blind. But it was really my dream job. It was marrying everything, you know, I loved. So, but, and I, you know, after making this very intense documentary, I was like, I'll go into
0: animation. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's go, let's go make, uh, you know, things jump and whirl ah, <laughs> animals. Jump. Make a happy, yeah. Yeah. you know,
1: uh, happy ending. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jeffrey Katzenberg would always hold these, um, studio-wide, you know, talking sessions. Yes.
0: yes. And
1: I always loved yeah. that he said, we have one of the best jobs in the world. We make kids laugh.
0: Yep, that's true. Um, I remember those when I was over there. So um, he was a force to be reckoned with in those meetings. <laughs> so so be- being there, being there and really being, um, you know, you were in the heyday, really, of, of, of animation at DreamWorks. Uh, some of these, these franchises, branded franchises that, that you were part of are, are iconic. You know, it was kind of the second breath of iconic, uh, DreamWorks animation other than, you know, Cinderella and Dumbo and, you know, all those others. Um, How was that uh, experience? What was your takeaway from working there?
1: When I started at DreamWorks, it was in the middle of um, the first Kung Fu Panda movie. And, you know... What was interesting is my team, you know, we made all the branded content. So it was kind of marrying my filmmaking with my commercial background. And we we would work with all these, you know, partners. And um, it was such a great, unique place for me because I worked with every filmmaker at the studio. So I was kind of like, I always said I was Switzerland. I was between marketing and filmmakers. You know, that's always a little bit of tension. You know, I would tell the filmmakers, because when you're in the middle of making a movie, it's very challenging that then you have these marketing people asking for all these materials, and you're just trying to get your film done, and you know, having been in animation, you know, this is a multi-year endeavor.
0: Yeah. Yeah, people People have no idea. They think they just whip it out. Now, this is like five to seven years to create one of these, you know, for everyone listening in that just doesn't have the bandwidth of of understanding. From the moment that this is like a concept go, it's five to seven years before it gets to market.
1: Yeah, it's intense. And I will say, though, having worked in live action and then also on animation, I think one of the the, the world of animation... The filmmakers—it's such a collaborative experience because it has to be. It's there's literally—you know—you literally cannot. Uh, well, I guess with flash animation, you could probably sit at your computer and do something, but you know, in general terms, a big studio. You know, I—it's very much a, a family and a team effort. Um, but to go back to your question, it was the heyday, and I feel so grateful that I was able to work on so many wonderful films that have, you know, they will have, um, you know, they're going to be legendary films. You know, I was shocked when we made How to Train Your Dragons, how many teenagers, at the time my stepson was in high school, and he he and his friends were like, this is one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. And it was an animated movie, and these are like 16-year-old kids.
0: It struck a core that well, animation done well. And, and, you know, for all those listening in, Disney animation is the gold standard. They are the gold standard of all animation in the entire world. So, um, but when it hits that universal message, that universal core in an animated movie, it, there is no limitation on age. You know, it hits all those markets. It was a really well done um, animated movie but you know for for people listening in um you you just really have to understand disney's that that gold standard
1: to me the biggest takeaway is that story everything is always about your story and you know to, to excuse my french but i learned also you can all, only polish a turd so much you know it's like if you don't have a good story <laughs> If the creative's not there, you just
0: Well then you started moving into yeah, it does. So then you 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 left there and you started moving into um you know, live action, more live action. So let, let's talk about that transition. What 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 was the catalyst for that well as we just said it
1: takes seven years to make a film in animation and it's a very long tedious process and while I loved it and I've often said you know I would have to pitch even though I was doing the branded content we also did I did make a couple of short films while I was there as well and so I was constantly in these meetings with you know very high level executives and you know Pitching Jeffrey Katzenberg and getting notes from Jeffrey, I've always said, hey, if I can take notes from him and navigate those waters, I can deal with anybody. Because, <laughs> you know, he. Yeah, anybody. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and he always, I was always. He wasn't
0: necessarily the, the most warm, he wasn't the most warm and um, fuzzy Bear. Let's put it that way. Yeah,
1: no, he would he would tell you, it, but that I appreciated, and I learned so much from that as a filmmaker, and now um, moving on into running my own company, that it's so important. I mean, he was never abrasive, or but he was very, very direct. And at the end of the day, the you know, take no prisoners. You have to tell the truth. It's about the creative if what, whatever serves a creative is what we have to do. I mean, it doesn't serve anybody if you don't tell the truth. If you sugarcoat your notes, like it, it, you're not helping anybody. So that was my big takeaway. Um, but I left because I really, again, wanted, I had stories I wanted to tell, my stories. And it, and it really started with the optioning of these two award-winning novels by D.B. Jackson Um, The first is called They Rode Good Horses, and it's an epic um, story that uh, takes place over four decades. Um, It's about the westward expansion in America, and it's told through the eyes of these two boys who um, become best friends. Um, It's a beautiful story. Uh, I always say it's, you know, you'll know this, Leslie, maybe the others in the audience, but it's really, you know, there hasn't been a really great limited western i think since lonesome dove and this and this book is compared to lonesome dove it's just that kind of story um and then the other is unbroke horses so these two which is also award-winning uh, same author and that's a whole nother story of how we came to those books um, that they actually came through brad hunt um, who plays Alex in our movie Alex October, and he's my partner. Um, they, they're they just beautiful stories that, you know, those are the two things that I'm like, okay, before I'm on the other side of the ground, I really need to get those done.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about um, your company and, and how you go about uh, packaging and, and bringing in the financing. Because, you know, financing is a dirty word, in the entertainment industry, especially for the independents, because if you're not, you know, with a studio deal, how the heck are you going to get this thing funded? So, um, you know, how do you work around those waters of financing?
1: That's such a good question, Leslie. And I think for filmmakers, it's challenging because many of us don't really have a business mind or, you know, it's, 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 it's not easy. Um, and I was fortunate enough, again, through relationships that I have built over the years, um, and in this case with one good man. When we first started, um, I knew a, a person from DreamWorks who was in the finance division, so he really knew how to put together these finance business models to show to show how you know you can hire companies to do this. And I think if you're a filmmaker trying to raise money that's really a wise investment even if it means you have to take on a second job to hire the guy to do this you know because you've got to be able to show them how the money flow how the cash flow is going to work i mean it's a business proposition and a lot of times i think you know the days of oh, go to your wealthy uncle who wants to come visit you on the set because, you know, you have so-and-so there or whatever. I mean, I never found that that. you know, lots of people tell you they want to put money into your phone, but when it comes time to, like, signing on the dotted line, you know, there's a lot of meetings. Let's just say they don't deliver. They don't deliver the cash. So, but if you find a topic, so I would say my advice would be, you know, find where your theme is. What is your what's your story about? And where are those people who that's important to them as well? So and, and also, you know, we use this. Are you familiar with numbers? Numbers Okay. So numbers.com, you can go to numbers.com and this is where you can, it's like box office mojo, but a little bit deeper. So you really can get all the analytics on how a movie performed. And, you know, it's, it's not quite as easy now because nobody knows what streaming does. But, you know, if, if a film releases theatrically, you can get some information. Well, I found out, I ended up talking to the owner of this company and I found out that they could do an analysis, like really do a good comparison of what are your comps? What are the movie comps? So in the case of our film, Alex, October, um, I was really encouraged because if your film is high quality, well-made visually, you know, so all the, the, the visuals are there and Leslie, you Yeah, and you know this because you program the, yeah. And you see this all the time in your festival that there's brilliant films. So you don't, basically, if you have the production, you have a great script, you have talented actors. They don't have to be A-list actors. If you have all these elements, you can get your movie made and, and you can do well with it. You just have to think, about it from a strategic standpoint as well, and manage. You know, if your favorite actor that you want to play this isn't a big household name, you're not going to go get $10 million to make the movie. Not going to happen. You're not going to get a million, probably. You know, it just depends. <laughs> so set your expectations, but just because you're working with a low budget doesn't mean you get to cut corners.
0: Well, and that's, and that's good because I think a lot of people listening in going, oh my gosh, you know, I, I have to have that named A-list talent. Well, yeah, you have to have a named talent, but it doesn't necessarily have to be an A-lister. You know, a combination of B-listers, throw in a C-lister, A-minus, <laughs> you know, a-, somebody who was an A but we haven't seen him or her in a long time, you know, and bringing them back in uh also can serve towards that justification of statistics to pull off those numbers and and i think that's a confusing part for a lot of filmmakers is they they go oh my gosh i either have to do it for $50,000 right <laughs> <laughs> and make the film for $50,000 with my friends. Or, you know, I have to raise like $5 million, and how am I going to do that? Like, the, and there's nothing in between for them, but that's not necessarily true.
1: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of very, very gifted actors, you know, that you can tap into, that do have name recognition, that do have a nice body of work. So their reputation alone. You know, this is for for us with Alex October, Brad Hunt is a very seasoned actor. He's very well regarded. And because he was in the film, we were able to draw other really great talent. So I think it's just like, who's the first that you can bring in? And what is your sphere of influence? Who can, and if you know nobody, then, you know, actors want to do great roles. So if you have a great role, then find a way to get your script to the actor you want. I mean, I know that may sound like Polly, you know, like, oh, wow, the easier said than done. But let's just say this I think making an independent film is not for the faint of heart.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. True, true. And, and listen, you may never get to that, that one actor that you want that's perfect for it because you, you know, aren't dealing with a uh, high budget. You're doing, you know, a ULB with, with SAG, which for those listening in is an ultra low budget. It's an acronym that they use. So, um, but it doesn't mean that it can't get done. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and I think part of it is, looking at what are the projects that you want to make. I mean, this is kind of how I've approached it. As I said, I had these novels first. I still haven't made those films because for me as a small independent production company, I knew I have to, regardless of what I've done in the past, people want to say, they're like, okay, you did all these things, but can you make a movie? Can you go produce a film? So I was like, okay, I will go produce the film that I know I can make now. And, you know, the goal is that then I will get the financing to make these, which are period piece, Western, you know, they're just more ambitious thing to do. So I have to take one thing at a time and, you know, they're stepping stones. And, you know, I personally look at it, you know, when I put, some of our own money in because i'm like well how am i going to get people to do something i'm not willing to do myself and i think that speaks a lot to investors that you know i'm not going to go buy the fancy car live in the big house i'm going to go make the movie and i think it you know it that's anything that you do in life that you know Practice what you preach.
0: Right. So for those listening in, can you give a a step by step? Let's say, um, you're an independent and you're trying to, you know, raise, you know, 200 to 750, kind of in that pocket of independent. You know, what is your step to step guide for those listening in on, on, on what to do in what order, uh, to make and create a package that Is a potential package for investors for you to seek money on?
1: Okay, so the first step would be to put together your pitch. If you have a pitch deck, you need a pitch deck, and that would include your, you know, synopsis of your film or your series, whatever. Um, So put together your, your, pitch deck and include the creative but again it's very important that you have this business component to it as well so that may not necessarily be in my case we would have two different decks because you know not everybody wants to that's like step two would be you get to talk to them about the money the first thing is you have to hook them so the hook would be your pitch deck which is your creative your potential cast those people you want to go after um why the film is important to be told right now, why the story, why now. So, these are, these are the elements that should be in your deck. It needs to be very visual because, again, you're telling your financiers what the feel, the tone, the look of the movie is going to be. So, even all the way down to, like, the fonts that you use, like, these are important things. And, again, if you're not, if you're like me, like, I'm pretty good with Keynote or pretty good with, you know, uh, PowerPoint, but... Finally, I thought, well, if I'm going to go ask for this money, this needs to look really professional. So save your money and hire a guy or a girl who are really good at making great pitch decks and invest, you know, that again, this is, this can be very scrappy too. This, if you're like a really independent filmmaker and, you know, fresh out of school, then literally take another job that'll pay for these things or learn to do it yourself but you know if you or find your friend who was like the best one in school and you know to get them to do it and you'll be amazed how many people are willing to help you so the pitch deck and then if you do have the resources again if you can make a sizzle great but if you can't that's okay you know do what what do you have available what can you use? What do you have? Who do you have in your circles? This was one of the greatest thing I saw during um, COVID. And frankly, I met some of those filmmakers at your festival when we premiered out when we were uh, at La Femme. They were so innovative to get together and create content when, you know, locked down. And this is actually when SAG, you, you know, they made the micro budget agreement during that period of time, because I think they knew everybody's out there doing it anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, because they had no choice. I mean, <clears throat> it didn't stop just because we had COVID. Filmmakers didn't necessarily stop. We just thought of different ways of pulling it together. I mean, there's some very creative ones I've seen in the festival circuit that... You know, utilize zoom or or phones or you know other mechanisms to pull off this the feature film or shorts
1: and i and I think I'm glad you said that, Leslie, because I think that I personally have seen that. People have become more accustomed to seeing Zoom, you know, Zoom interviews. You watch the news. People are in this format. So the bar of what you might need to produce in order to get your financing is probably not the same as it was before. Like you could, you could go shoot something on your iPhone and cut it together, and, and that's, you know, that's a good tool. That's a good tool to use to sell your idea. You're really trying to sell your idea. Again, if thematically it's about, you know, a subject matter that somebody cares about, you know, our film Alex October is about um, a guy who's suicidal and, you know, struggles with alcoholism. So find those common threads with the people you know, like who's going to care about my movie? Who's going to want to support telling this story? So, again, and you've probably seen this with fel- with uh, those that you, uh, filmmakers, the more you find like that niche, then you're probably going to be better off.
0: Right. Well, n- niche films right now are doing very well. Um, because it makes it very clear for the distribution companies to market within that niche. So there's been some very successful recent films, um, you know, that fulfill that, that niche, right? Which is, you know, good for those.
1: It's true. It's, yeah, it is, which is what we found with our, our the second film that, you know, both of these, One of our films we shot right at the end of 2019, so then all during 2020, was when we were finishing and cutting and everything, um, which worked out again in our favor in some places. I was able to get people in post-production that I may not have gotten otherwise.
0: Never would have gotten right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We have Roger Neal, brilliant composer. He did Mozart in the Jungle, and oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. So... You know, and I don't know, Roger may not have been available, you know. So, and he did such a beautiful job. Um, and our film, Three-Headed Beast, which just screened at Tribeca, which is the debut film for these young filmmakers in Austin. Um, they did it. They, they shot this last, you know, we just finished it. Literally, we finished it, like, right up to the festival. We were, you know, and they, now they're an example of, this writer director team, we've done some shorts with them. So it's a relationship that I've cultivated over the past couple of years. Um, and they did go that route of who do I have, you know, Oh, let me get my friends and go make this movie. And we, you know, and I produced it um, and executive produced it. and, you know we've done very well because it's a really timely subject and it is one of those you know niche films,
0: right? And you're doing very well on the festival circuit with it. <clears throat> so our <clears throat> so with television kind of going into it to its 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 boom right? Television has boomed over and since uh, COVID and a little bit of a ramp coming up to that. Are you looking at uh, potential television projects as well? Or do you want to just stay in that, the feature film? Because now that's, that's coming back. You know, everyone's going, oh, everyone's starting to make films again.
1: I would, I, you know, I have these, these, both of the, the projects I mentioned to you would be best suited for television. I think that despite all this time, and I don't, this is probably a mistake I have made, is... I have not really made a big concerted effort to get representation to get an agent. So I think trying to get into television without an agent seems to be very difficult. I mean, I have relationships with people and I can kind of get into some places and pitch, which I have done, but I haven't really had, you know, success. Um, Now I do have one project that's but it's unscripted. Uh, this is a project with the influencer Glowzel Green, and we have a deal at Crackle Plus, which will be a fun show to do. Uh, but as far as in the scripted space, I, I think it's a you know I I would love to do it, but I haven't you know cracked the code.
0: Right, right. Well, that's uh, that's that's good to know. And and for people listening out there, you know she's successful. And, and had a, a history of successful projects, and still it's challenging for her to crack that into the, the land of television. Um, what is a good chunk of advice you can give to young producers uh, coming up the ranks, creative producers, um, filmmakers that you can bestow to those listening in?
1: Well, I've always sort of worked um – you know, whether it be on the set or in an office setting is I really think that it's wise to to don't ask anybody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. So when I say that, I mean down to like you've wrapped and you've sweeping the floor or whatever. Pick up a broom and sweep like don't ever think you're above it. And. And that will go a very, very long way. I'm not saying do this because you're trying to get something. I'm saying sincerely be a team player. If you're a real team player, it is amazing when it comes time for you to do, you know, your own project. How many people will step in and say, I want to help you. And you will, you will, it's, it's really, I mean, it makes me emotional thinking because it's amazing how many people really want to support your creative endeavors. Um, the other thing I would say is you've got to be willing to work hard. This is not, you know, I think people, a lot of people think it's so glamorous and it is fun. We get to do really fun stuff. It's fun to be creative. Um, But it's hard work, and it's, you know, so be passionate. If you don't love it, then do something else. (laughs) It's not worth it if you don't love it, (laughs) I think. Um, But I would also give the advice of surround yourself. Like, as you go through your career, you may be a, you may just be, right now, you're an assistant sitting at the desk of, you know, a, a producer, if you got that job, good for you, because learn, learn, learn. Like anytime I hired it, I was very, you know, my assistants, like I, I was one of those. I am a person like you always know what I where you stand. Like if you've screwed up, I'm going to tell you you've done a great job. You're going to know. And I always say, well, when you're the boss and your head's on the chopping block, you can do it your way but I'm not going to point the finger at you and say, well, my assistant did blah, blah, blah. If something, you know, I'll take the fault. That's a, that's a leader to me. So, but learn. So, you know, I, I've always told people who worked with me, I will be probably your toughest boss, but you will come away from this experience being able, you know, you're going to be heads and tails above anybody else because You've learned to turn over every stone. You know, you've learned to care care about the work you put out. And also, if you're an assistant, you just have such a golden opportunity because you're listening in on these meetings. You're hearing how these negotiations happen. Like, it's, it, that is like the best job in the world if you're an aspiring producer, I think. So don't, don't be ashamed embrace it and get excited about wow this is so i would say that if you're a director's assistant producers anybody's assistant that is doing what you aspire to do you know do it with a smile on your face and be so excited about it and then i would say with your peers see who's doing what you you know who's shooting on the weekends who's who's out there and form your team you know, that's what's so great about the seventies, I think, in these filmmakers that had these, you know, tight knit teens that they made all their movies together. You know, I personally think that, you know, that's a you're gonna pick up pieces and people along the way they become your, your team and treat them well and they will, you know, they'll they'll do anything for you.
0: Yeah. What's a, along your travels, <laughs> a dirty secret that you have learned that you're like, oh my gosh, if I had known that earlier, it would have saved me so much time <laughs> that you could share with us?
1: I think it's sort of along the same lines. I look at my, I have two siblings who are very successful. And I've looked back and I've thought, okay, the difference between them and me in like really not having to, I mean, they worked hard, but they, they found a mentor, a true mentor. And I never, I didn't, I didn't really tap into getting a mentor. Like I learned from people I worked with, but I didn't, you know, that's a real relationship. Like the guy or girl that you can pick up the phone and, you know, going back to Jeffrey, you know, doing these things at the studio, he always talked about David Geffen was that mentor for him. he talked to him on a on a daily basis and having that sounding board of the person who's been there done that who has your back who's I would say so that's kind of like one dirty little I don't know if that's a dirty little secret but it's one thing that I would absolutely say if you can make that a real choice then do it and then I think the other thing that would be the the dirty little secret piece of it, the flip side of that coin is, it's a very cutthroat business. So don't, don't trust, just don't assume that other people are not, there's a lot of politics. I guess that's the best way to put it. There's so many politics. And again, that's one of the things like, you know, When I worked in commercials, I never worked for a company. I was a freelancer for like 15 years. So, you know, somebody pissed me off. I was like, oh, I don't ever have to work with them again, (laughs) you know. But you get into the studio and it's a cutthroat business.
0: I'll I'll be a little bit more uh, upfront and in your face on this. I think for all those listening in, she's trying to say um, there's a lot of backstabbing in the entertainment industry and they'll smile in your face and they'll compliment you and they'll tell you, Oh, you're doing such a great job and they'll have this sweet sappiness. And on a dime they will just stab you in the back if it's advantageous for them. I think that's what she's trying to say. But uh, uh, uh <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: on that note, Leslie, another bit of advice, don't send the email that you want to send when somebody has pissed you off and blah, 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 and you're typing away, erase, 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 delete. Don't memorialize anything. Never send a text, never send an email to anybody that you've gotten you know, stabbed in the back by. Don't do it. It'll bite. You It'll bite you. Later. It
0: will bite you. And I have written those, and I put them in draft form, and then sit on them for like, you know, forty eight hours, calm down, and then go. Okay, what actually should I send, or do I not send anything at all? <laughs> and the answer is, don't send anything at all. <laughs> You're less paranoid than me
1: because I'm like, if it even went into draft, I might accidentally send it or something. <laughs> no, I just
0: don't do it. It's a, it's a bad idea. <laughs> no, I think it's there. It's therapy for me. You know, like I vomit it all out on an email of what I really want to say to this rat fink person, um, you know, and then I go, okay, (laughs) you can't really say that, and you can't really say that, and well, gosh, the whole thing just is, is, you can't say any of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is so true, it's so true. Well, and the thing I learned about that, though, is usually backstabbing, I mean, here's the thing, the entertainment business is very, very, very competitive, so there's so much fear like all of that boils down to people are afraid of losing their job or you know i saw this a lot that like if one, did, one like say the marketing marketing they weren't getting the do- they weren't getting the you know box office that they needed well people would start creating deflections So, you know, they just want the light to go somewhere else, like get it off of me, get it over here. So there's always like finger pointing of why was something not working and, you know, on every side, production, development, you know, across the board. there's Nobody's off limits.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you, Lisa, for joining us on Best and Fest. Shout out your socials um, for those listening in on those films or where they can... um, look at the film that's in the festival circuit now.
1: Okay, great. Yes. You can go to three headed beast film for the one that's in the festivals now or at Alex October. Um, Also our handle for Instagram is at one good man productions, which you can find everything there. And I would like to say Alex October will be in theaters. I'm super excited about that in theaters on September, September, the 30th and also on demand. So it's a day and date release.
0: Nice. That's excellent. Congratulations on that. And who's a distributor?
1: It is Desktop Entertainment. So they're, uh, there's a part of the label of um, Bridgestone Media Group. And Leslie, I have to say, thank you so much for letting us screen at LeFemme last year. Which is actually um, really how that that's kind of the core way that we got our distributor was was through context that I made there. So the festivals are so so valuable. I really appreciate it
0: we and you know we love doing that and especially for uh, women like you that are qualified and really just out there putting everything out on the line. I want to thank uh, Lisa Freyberg from joining us on Best and Fest. For those that want to see the video component, go to the YouTube channel, look at La Femme Film Festival, uh, rate us, rank us, shout out to us on Instagram or DM us. We are on all the podcast platforms. Uh, thank you again for joining us on Best and Fest.